Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. In this episode, we have Shed No Tears for Me by Frederick C. Davis. Davis is probably best known to pulp fans as the first author of the Operator Number no. 5 Adventures. Davis, under the Curtis Steele House name, wrote the first 20 issues of Operator Number no. 5 from April 1934 to November 1935. Operator number five was secret agent Jimmy Christopher, protecting the United States from all types of foreign invaders. Prior to his time as the scribe of Operator number five, Davis wrote for a number of pulps. Davis was one of the most prolific contributors to Dime Detective, with 73 appearances in the magazine. He created several characters for the title, including Beverly Hills P.I. Oak Oakley of Secrets, Inc., and journalists Bill Brent and Geehole Carey. Overlapping his time as the author of the Operator No. 5 stories, Davis also created the Moon Man under his own name. The Moon Man, appearing in 10 Detective Aces, was a unique crime-fighting hero who hid his face behind a spherical helmet of one-way glass. The Moon Man ran for 38 stories from 1933 to 1937. Today's story appeared in the January 1952 issue of Popular Detective, a thrilling publication. It definitely falls into the dark, hard-boiled genre, complete with femme fatale. The story is included in our new pulp collection from Brick Pickle Media, Thrilling Pulp Detective Tales. You can find more info and order the book at brickpicklemedia.com books or from Amazon or any other bookstore. And I've also put that link in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And with that, on with the show. Shed No Tears for Me by Frederick C. Davis He knew suddenly the only way out was to kill her. Driving carefully through the freezing mist, both hands tight on the wheel, he felt her nearness like a fever and knew he must kill her now. Speaking to him rapidly, full of an eagerness for living, she had drawn herself snugly close to his side with her beautifully delicate fingers clinging to his arms, never dreaming that he was already measuring the rest of her life in minutes. It's what I've always yearned to do, to run away to the end of the world, the man I love. There's nothing to hold us back, darling. Really, nothing. Nothing but sudden death. It will be paradise, she said, her bright eyes wide open with eagerness for it. A beautiful place in the faraway tropics. I hear Guatemala's like that. Let's stop for Guatemala right now, darling. Let's just turn right at the next corner, head straight for our own private paradise together. She was heading straight for an icebox instead, never dreaming it. I love you, darling, she murmured, her lips close to his ear. Love you more than life itself. He didn't answer, but kept his two hands tight on the wheel, his blood running fast, the fever of her nearness. It would have been nice, very nice, to take that right turn to paradise at the next corner. But there were reasons why that romantic little trip must be canceled. Certain obstacles of unromantic sort were in the way, such as a brace of homicides. She was taking her first and last trip with him right now. A shorter one than she might expect. Much shorter. It would end any minute now. Destination hell. He drove with her lovely head on his shoulder and his bitter eyes fixed straight ahead, looking for a dead-end detour. She seemed so trustful to side, not realizing her last minute was ticking away. Then he spotted it, and she didn't even seem to feel the tightening of his body. A signpost pointing a shortcut to the morgue. It began with a knock on the door. Before approaching that door, Hal Garth paused at a shadowed spot across the street to watch it. 
It was the hedge guarded private entrance to a ground floor apartment in a classy, modernistic building. One made to order for dark comings and goings. Garth could picture that door opening on soft lights and sweet music. A beautiful woman slipping in, then hours later stealing away again. It happened, he knew, many times. They came and went by night, these clandestine women, to this lush apartment belonging to a smooth operator named Rex Leone. The picture stirred up in Garth a biting sense of envy. Leone was a high-riding crook who was slated sooner or later to get nailed by the law and moved to slightly less luxurious quarters in the state can, where love of the ladies never called. But just now he was doing very nicely, much better than an underpaid, nose-grinding assistant DA, for example. Acting on orders from his chief, the elegant Curtis Seaton, possibly the bluest-blooded district attorney in all the 48 states, Garth crossed the street toward Leone's apartment with his mouth wryly twisted. Leone is causing too much nasty talk around town, Hal, Seaton said this afternoon, sounding indignant about it in his princely way. He's spark-plugging half a dozen different rackets, from pinballs to numbers, and running them flagrantly. Since Leone has protected himself against police interference, we'll have to be the ones to stop him. Attack him through his weaknesses. That's the way to do it. Ah, Garth had said acridly. Leone has many weaknesses, I hear, and all them are women. Just so. There must be a bitter one among them, Hal. One who's jealous and resentful of the others because she wanted to play for keeps. Let's find her. When we do, she may be delighted to help us break Leone. Garth doubted it, but Curtis Seaton disliked his underlings to disagree with him out loud. Besides, it did promise to become the pleasantest assignment of Garth's otherwise dull and menial career. Right now, there were soft lights behind the lowered Venetian blinds of Leone's apartment. No doubt Leone was expecting one of his luscious callers momentarily, if she wasn't already there. Garth's curiosity was drawn by the glowing chinks in those blinds. He drifted toward them and heard gunshots. Two shots! The reports came close together, muffled thuds jarring the drawn blinds slightly, followed by nothing. Garth froze for half a second, then sidestepped to a spot against the wall. He kept his eyes on Leone's door, expecting to see it pulled wide open at any second, then a woman flying out, frantic to escape discovery. But it didn't happen. The door stayed closed. The apartment behind Garth remained still for minutes before he moved again. Puzzled, he shifted to the door, and the knob turned in his hand. He caught sight of Leone at once when he eased the door open. Leone was flat on his back in the center of his living room rug, his pant leather shoes aimed at a heaven he would never see, his formerly handsome face spoiled for the funeral by the point-blank impact of both bullets. Garth went in carefully, his steps silent, his eyes shifting from one corner of the living room to another, in search of the woman who had not yet run out. Of course, it had to be a woman, and she was still in here, not giving way to dumb panic, but using her pretty head instead. The gun, he was relieved to see, lay on the floor near Leone, a far better place for it than in the woman's deadly hand. Sensing her hidden presence at every slow step, Garth passed the dead Leone and moved up on the bedroom door. The bedroom, featuring satins and mirrors, looked like a Hollywood dream, and it was deserted. The bath beyond, also, open and empty. All this left only one possibility, the court behind the apartment. Even as Garth turned back, he caught the flash of swift motion behind him. He whirled just in time to see the flicker of a skirt at the door, to glimpse the spike-heeled shoe vanishing. He sprang after them. When he reached the sidewalk, he saw fast movements again, this time disappearing into a car. He raced 40 feet along the curb to the convertible, sitting in the dark there. Just as the starter began to grind, he yanked the door open and ducked in. The suddenness of his move struck a gasp of dismay from the girl at the steering wheel. She crowded back against the door, abandoning her attempt to start the motor. Her eyes wide and her lips parted with the breathlessness of the cornered. 
Garth froze with his face near hers, staring in stunned surprise greater than hers. He'd seen her before, so many times that his memories of her became a runaway merry-go-round as he stared at her. He knew so well how she came into a room. Her self-possessed manner, that of a girl who belonged everywhere, the world being her oyster with a pearl in it. He knew how she pulled gloves on her fine, slender hands, how her lips flexed as her smile came and faded. He knew the turn of her thoroughbred ankles, the curve of her hips. To all these things he'd given yearning notice many times. Although her glance had never once lingered on him. She had never given Garth any more notice than she would have given a taxi driver or a waiter. She was, after all, a reigning princess in one of the city's royal families, while Garth was just an unimportant member of her father's legal staff. Her name was Marta Seaton. This was the woman who had pulled the trigger on Leone tonight. The one woman among all Leone's others who was jealous and resentful of all the others because she wanted to play for keeps. That was the way District Attorney Curse Seaton had described her in theory, never suspecting that his own daughter would fill the bill in such a deadly fashion. She pressed herself back into the corner of the seat, her eyes wide on Garth, scarcely daring to breathe. He held himself still, his face only inches from hers, feeling for the first time the fever of her nearness. Never before had he been so close to her as now, now upon his blasting discovery that she was a killer. Garth's senses were a whirlpool, a whirlpool growing deeper as it spun faster and faster. He felt disgust for the girl, shocked that a girl so apparently fine could fall so hard for a cheap character like Leone. He felt instantly how ugly and loud this news would be spread across the newspaper's front pages. He wanted no part in it, yet he realized he was already helplessly entangled in it. But more than these, one other reaction overswept him. The greedy jubilation of an underdog who just suddenly discovered power and riches in his hands. Please, the girl said breathlessly. Don't tell anyone. Please, I'll do anything. Full of fever, Garth found himself backing out of the car and striding swiftly back to Leone's door. He went in with scarcely a glance for the ex-gutter snipe who had been cancelled out by a more aristocratic hand than he deserved. He took up Leone's much-used phone, dialed a number from memory, and heard himself speaking in a voice tight with a secret, sour exultation. Mr. Seaton, Hal Garth reporting, sir. I'm afraid the Leone case is cancelled out by a couple of bullets. That's right. Killed by one of his women, probably. I found the door open when I arrived. The woman had already dodged out. There ain't some trace of her left here, but I can't say offhand. Yes, I know that part's for the police. Yes, I'll wait here for them. He gazed over his shoulder. The white face at the door was Marta Seaton's. She had dared to follow him back that far. Her smoky black eyes were on him, shining with a new, quietly fierce light. Sorry I can't take you home just now, darling, Gar said quietly. But I'll see you later. Just a little later, I hope. Wait for me. I'll be along. Her pale face disappeared in the darkness outside. He heard her high heels tick rapidly along the sidewalk to her car. A slow smile crept over his lips. Too bad his duty forced him to wait here for the police. Too bad he must forego the rare pleasure of escorting Marta Seaton home, especially when he had so little to report. Garth shifted about in the background of the murder room. His mouth quirked with wry amusement, restlessly looking for an opening to bid these fumbling dicks a none too fond good night. While watching the Homicide Squad working over the late Rex Leone, Garth gave special notice to Sergeant Johnny Brand. Johnny was taking a keen pleasure in this homicide. He had a boyish flush of excitement on his cheeks and the intent glint of a hunter in his eyes. He searched about for significant details. The youngest man in the squad, just recently promoted, he was taking it as a game. As the dicks pulled at Leone's limp body, preparatory to lugging it out to the meat wagon, Garth heard an elated sound of discovery break from Johnny Brand. Stopping suddenly, Johnny plucked something off the floor. He hunched his shoulders to examine it in a way that put a chill in Garth's blood. 
What had Johnny discovered? A trace of the murderess? Garth took a quick step toward him, and at the same time Johnny, his awareness cat quick, closed his hand over the thing he found and eased it into his coat pocket. The other members of the homicide squad frowned at Garth, but Johnny simply smiled his excited, kiddish smile. Find something hot? Garth asked. It was an odd thing about Johnny Brand, the way he shared the homicide squad's hostility toward the district attorney's staff, while at the same time feeling a youngish kind of veneration for Garth. The other Dick's frowns were resentful. They felt Garth was trying to horn in. But to Johnny, who was even more eager than they were to score a bullseye, the rivalry was good-natured. Being an old-school pal who'd always looked up to Garth, there was no jealousy or rancor in him. Just a genial earnestness to play the good game and win. That thing you just found under Leone's body, is it giving you a few leading ideas, maybe? Johnny's broad smile turned boyishly mysterious. It's one of those things that point a dozen ways at once, Hal. Might prove something eventually, but probably not. We'll let you know, when we present you with a luscious murderess all prettily wrapped up in handcuffs. I can't wait, Gar said wryly. This was the opening he'd been itching to find, a chance to leave. He swung out of the door with a wag of his hand and a pinch of dread in his heart. Johnny had found something all right, something that might actually lead him to Marta. Garth drove rapidly as the hands restlessly squeezing the wheel. He had a date with Marta Seaton. Only an hour ago, he'd been just one of her father's office boys. But now he was suddenly a little more important to her. Important enough for him to notice him now. Too important to brush off, even. So important, in fact, that she would think twice before giving him any kind of argument and then think better of it. Garth's impulse was to head straight for the Victorian Castle on Dorset Drive in the city's snootiest section, which was a resident of District Attorney Curtis Seaton. He might begin reaching a private little understanding with Marta then and there, but he shook his head at himself. After all, he's holding a fistful of aces. If he sat tight with them, she would very soon have to leave right into his hand. Playing at cagey instead, Garth angled across the city toward his own address in a more modest section of town. Opening his door, Garth stopped short staring across his shabby little living room at Marta. Her misty black eyes were on his and a shadow of a smile was playing across her mouth. In one hand, she held a freshly filled dripping shot glass. She had helped herself to his bargain counter rye, not seeming to mind the change from scotch. Perhaps it helped herself a little too liberally. His cigs, too. There were six rouge-stained stubs in the tray, showing that she'd apparently come here straight from Leone's apartment and having persuaded the superintendent to let her in, had been waiting for him. She lifted the glass to her lips for a small sip and said, Join me, Hal? He closed the door quietly behind him, grinning. This little deal was going to work out all right. Yes, indeed, it was going to work out fine for both of them. Smiling and moving toward her, Garth marveled. In appearance, she was no different now. She was still the poised patrician, still a finely bred young lady, sensitive and delicate. But in her eyes, he could see hints of audacities he had never suspected before. And the curve of her lips seemed to lure daringly and provocatively offered. I thought you might have suddenly become allergic to men's apartments at Marta, Gar said. Her lips curved a little more. It depends on the man. Then her face grew dark. Rex was such a cheap little stinker, really. When I went in tonight, I happened to hear him laughing to one of his dolls over the phone about how he was playing me along just to get himself inside the district attorney's office. Of course, that was more than I could take from such a common little rat. I think the city should thank me for eradicating him, don't you? Garth gazed at her levelly. Don't kid yourself. It's still murder. But in a special case like this, naturally there would be a few concessions. He began smiling. 
Don't you agree, Marta, that in such a very special case as this, a few concessions should be made? As he stood with her shadowy smile reflecting his, Gar's phone rang. He brought it up in her familiar, cool, slightly imperious voice. With his eyes on Marta, he answered it. Yes, Mr. Seaton? Flickers showed deep in the smoky darkness of Marta's eyes as Garth went on answering her father's questions. No, Mr. Seaton, no leads so far. The cops will have a tough time of it, I'm afraid, finding the right woman. The way it looks to me now, sir, they'll probably never find her. Although, of course, developments may change my mind about that. Yes, I'll give you the complete written report first thing in the morning. Good night, Mr. Seaton. Garth's smile was tighter when he replaced the phone. Marta proffered to him the drink she had tasted. He took it, a smile growing into a grin. She poured another for herself. She held it up as a toast and said softly, Here's to crime, darling. And that's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. We'll have part two, the conclusion of Shed No Tears for Me, on Thursday. Just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Meekle Media production.